wonderful to hear good news or get good news. And you know, there's a lot of things. Um, I'm sure you just like me. There's things that excite you. You know, you think about when you were a kid and December 24th, and man, it's time to go to bed. And oh man, you can't hardly sleep because you're so excited about the next morning. You know, one thing or another, people get all excited about all different kinds of things. I was always excited about school, at least the last day. You know, so. And uh, the final bell of the day ring, things like that, I was always excited about. But you know, I think the sad thing is, a lot of people don't get too excited about uh, Christianity. And that's a shame. Sometimes even brethren aren't very excited. I've always, I've told preachers, hey, let me see something. I don't think I turned this on because I was thinking about my But anyway, um, I want you to, I think about, I've told the story before, I went to a football game and saw a team score a touchdown, I wasn't for that team, but that was the home team in college, and they scored a touchdown, I watched everybody go crazy, everybody. And I thought about that, because the next day I spoke about the resurrection of Jesus, and everyone seemed, you know, stone cold dead, you know. I'm talking about the greatest thing that ever happened on the planet. We get excited when a guy crosses the goal line, and whoa, man, we can't hardly believe it. And I'm not saying we need to have jump up and down, throw your hats, that kind of excitement. We need to be excited about things. And the Bible talks about that. The word it uses quite often uh, about that, and the Apostle Paul, even when he was Saul of Tarsus, was this way. He would talk about zeal or zealous. And Paul was one of those guys, if he was in it, he was in it to win it, okay? He was one of those guys, he was gung-ho, he's ready to go. Some people, you don't know whether they're excited about something or they're not excited about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, what would you do if you went to work and a guy <clears throat> beside you said, well, how's your wife doing? Oh, well, we had that baby last night. You did? Oh, great. said, well, what was it, a boy or a girl? Oh, man, I really didn't pay that much attention. <laughs> You're kidding me. What's your name? Oh, she picked out some name. You know, something new. I don't remember. But you know, you look at it and you'd say, something wrong with that guy. You know, he would be excited about that. And so I think about how important it is for us to be excited. So listen to this, but just being excited isn't enough. I know a lot of people that are religious fanatics. But they got the problem that's mentioned here in Romans chapter 10. So you look at this, it says, uh, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Isn't that what we pray for people? We want to be saved. We want to be saved. I don't want to win arguments. I want to win souls. We want to give them the gospel. We want to teach the truth. We want to live according to the truth. You know, we want to have a mansion just over the hilltops. We want to trust and obey the Lord. I mean, we could just talk about song after song that we sing, but I think about this, it's for their salvation. The whole reason of the Gospel, the whole reason Jesus came to the earth was to seek and save the lost. The reason the church exists is to be the pillar and support of the truth, but we are... I picked up the salt shaker off the table. I think I showed it to Dennis, and I said, you are the salt of the earth. You know, but you think about that, Jesus uses simple things like salt, it talks about if the salt's lost its savor, wherewith will it be salty? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. And he's talking about influence. So if we don't influence our co-workers and our neighbors 
and our family and our friends for the gospel, you think about it, he said, well, we're not good for much of it just to be thrown out and walked on. So we have to be making a difference. We have to do that. So he says in verse 2, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but, uh-oh, there is one of those but passages, but not according with knowledge. Oh, I talk to people sometimes, and, you know, I'm a Christian, and, you know, and they tell me about how they're going to do this and going to do that. I said, and you ask them a few questions, and no, they don't know hardly any Bible at all. They don't even know how to become a Christian. They don't know anything about the church. I even had a guy once says, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't want anything to do with churches. You know, so there's a lot of the world like that. You know, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want anything to do with churches. I just, I just want Christ, but forget His bride. You know, I think that's kind of crazy. Um, of course, you can't have one without the other, because Jesus, uh, we know, adds the saved to the church, right? Acts 2 and verse 47. And so, you can't be saved outside the church. But if you want to know something, most people don't understand that. And um, a lot of your religious friends think everybody's the same. You're going your way, I'm going my way. You have your interpretation, I have my interpretation. I told the guy one time, he didn't know what to do, and I told him, I said, shut up. He, what? I said, how do you interpret that? I said, there is no interpretation of shut up. It means exactly what it says. The Bible's that frank on so many issues, it isn't funny. He did not even know how to discuss anything with But it's just like, you know what? I don't need interpretation on that. It's plain. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to Father but by me, how much plainer do you need it? How much plainer do you need it? We'll mention it every once in a while, 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism now saves you. How much plainer do you need it that baptism is part of the plan of saving man? And you have to be baptized to get into a saved relationship with God. How much plainer can it be? It doesn't take interpretation. It's plain. And so we look at this, we have to remember that, but it's not according to knowledge. It says, for not knowing what God's <clears throat> about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Sometimes I think it's interesting. I'll drive down the road and I'll say, here's the church and you know it's named after this community or it's named after this or it's named after that. You know, I always tell people the church of the most holy pig or whatever. But, I mean, it just seems like they name them everything in the world. And I, I talked to a friend of mine the other day and I said, well, um, what religious beliefs are you? Well, I'm not really sure what religious beliefs we are. We're Christians, but I can't tell you beyond that. I said, well, it'd be good if you were Christians, but, you know, because the Bible would teach us we can be Christians only. But you got to know what that means. He said, that's all I want. I said, well, you know, and then talk to him and he don't know any Bible. So how can you know you're a Christian and not know your Bible? You know, you, just, you can't become a Christian unless someone teaches you the truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So your faith is in something, but it's not in God's Word and in the Lord Himself. So I want us to think about that. So just being excited about something isn't enough, is it? you got to be excited about the right thing. People get excited about all kinds of things. And, you know, sometimes I get excited 
least maybe a better word, discouraged about some of the stupidity of some people on things. <laughs> Even politically in this world today, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. And I know people on both extremes, and I'm not an extremist, but both <coughs> extremes on racial issues and everything else. And Some of them are on both extreme ends are both the problem. It's like, man, why don't you just take it like the Bible? I don't care what color anybody is on the outside. We got to be good. We can't be rotten, plumb, plumb to the core. And you can't always know a book by its cover, can you? There's a lot of people. If they could know the book by the cover, they know a lot of Bible because they got a nice one that sits on the coffee table. It's great big. But just knowing it by the cover isn't enough. You got to get inside that thing. Let's look at a passage over. I think this is an interesting one. I thought about this. It's a little coming around in a different way. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now this chapter is about financial giving, and that's not the point I want to make. But I want you to see something here about being zealous or excited and how we can help people with that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, we'll just start right at verse 1. For it is superfluous for us to write uh, to you about this mystery to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boasted about, you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Can one person's excitement, can it be contagious? One person excited gets other people excited about things, and a wet towel can put out in a hurry, can't they? And you guys heard me say before, I looked it up, and that's still the statistic, that it takes 49 positives to overcome one negative. So it takes a whole lot of fire to keep burning if you pour one gallon of water on it. Okay, so, but he says their excitement had stirred up others. He goes on and says, But I have sent the brethren in order that your boast that are boasting about you may not be made empty in this case. So he says, We've been telling them about what you're going to do, and now he's saying, Hey, brethren, you've got to come through. Because he talked about what their commitment was in their giving. And he says, so I, I built it up. I told them how special you were. Now you've got to get it on. I think about it, even with something that isn't about giving. You know, uh, some of us have been to the lectureship down at Branson. And we talk it up. And I'm, we talk it up that I'm secure that if you went, you would get excited too. And if you can't go, you get online. You're going to hear some great lessons. You know, you can... Uh, stream them, you can get on their archives, you can do all kinds of things. But I'm telling you what, mark my words, and if you need the verses, I'll give them to you. There's nothing like being in person. And so if you can do that, I think God saw that. We're not to forsake the assembling of the saints as a habit of some is, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. You know, you think about that. We look at today and we've got several people who aren't with us, and it's because of sickness and injury. And we understand that. But uh, the more, if you get packed house, even though it's, you maybe can't find a place set and stuff very easy, that's exciting, isn't it? We think about how important that is, to be an encouragement, to stir them up. Look at another one. Uh, over in Acts, chapter 22. Acts 22. Listen to this now. Paul, he's going to defend himself uh, to the Jews, but he talks about his past. In verse 3, he says, I am a Jew. 
born in Tarsus of Sicily, that but brought up in this in this city, educated under Gamal, who is the professor of professors in Jewish law, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. Now he's going to go on, so was Paul zealous? I mean, he was on fire for God, wasn't he? Now if you read on in it, you'll see that he says in verse 4, I persecuted this way, talking about the church, to the death, binding and putting both men and women in prison. So here he is, he's zealous, he's, he just wants to do God's will, he's on fire to do God's will, and he's killing Christians and throwing them in jail. Was he right or wrong? He was zealous, but he was dead wrong. And miraculously, he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And now that which he tried to kill, he recognized was God's will. And he did everything he could do for the rest of his life to try to reach as many people with that gospel that before he tried to do it. Now here's what I tell people all the time, and many of you have heard me several times. Everybody's got a past. But it doesn't have to determine your future. Paul had a past that was tragic, wasn't it? For Stephen and people like him. But when you read in the New Testament after he becomes a Christian, boy, was now he was still excited, but now he's excited for God according to the knowledge of God's Word and God's will. How important that is to remember. Let's go to another one. Um, over in Titus chapter 2. Now, you know what's going to happen to me. I'm going to keep looking at that clock, and my head still says 1 and 2, 1 and 2, 1 and 2. <laughs> so, I'm going to think, man, I've got a long time to preach. <clears throat> um, anyway, over here in Titus chapter 2, listen to this, starting at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Huh. Grace of God, can you see it? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Sound like Jesus got another name. G, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace. Okay? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us. To, does the grace of God instruct also? Does it instruct us? See, people act like grace of God is just something free that you just get to enjoy and it doesn't cost anything. Well, it instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to be sensible, righteous, uh, righteously and godly in this present age. That's a lot. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's appeared unto us in Christ and it's going to appear again to its climax when Jesus appears a second time to take the faithful home to Him. You know, we have reservations made in heaven, but that really doesn't come to its fullest extent. Well, I guess it gets to a pretty serious point if you die, right? But still, you don't have a body yet to enjoy it like you're going to enjoy it in eternity. So you think about that. He says, when Jesus appears, looking for the blessed hope. Do we really look for Jesus? Are we really looking for Him? Can we just, I mean, let's say you get to make the decision. God calls you on the phone. Okay? So now I'll tell you what. I want you to make the call. When do I send Jesus back? 
send it back whenever you tell me. When do you want it back? I'm afraid most of us would keep wanting to put it off. Now, if we wanted to put it off to reach other people with the gospel, that'd be the right thing. But if we want to put it off because we're in love with the world and the things of the world, we would be wrong. And so we really got to think, well, if, I mean, if the Lord said He can come, we could talk about a fellow named Nebuchadnezzar. You remember him? And he wanted some extra time. How'd that work out? I tell you what, we need to be ready. And ready doesn't just mean if He comes back, we're ready. It means we're ready and we're eager for Him to come back. So as we look at this passage, it says, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then this is so important. Dennis mentioned this son in his class, who gave Himself for us. Gave Himself for us. Now let me ask you this. So you've got to make a choice. So, so we'll just pick on somebody here. We'll pick on Gloria. So Gloria needs some help. And you've got to do one of three things to help her. You've got to give her a $100 bill. Or you got to give her a new car, or you got to die in her place. What would it be the one you'd be least likely to give? So when it says He gave Himself, and I want you to think about when Jesus gave Himself. Of course it's talking about going to the cross, but He's in heaven. He is God. And He takes on the form of a human and comes to this earth. Wow, he's already given himself, right? I, there's things I think about every once in a while you try to wrap it just because you want to understand Jesus better. You know, Jesus knew what he was going to come into when he came here, right? So he's the Son of God. He becomes a baby. A baby. A human baby. He can't even feed himself. Someone else has. You're the Son of God. As John wrote in John 1, everything that came in existence came in existence through you. And now you got to stand, cry, so someone will give you something to eat. You ever think about that? It's crazy stuff. Though. Man, this is the Son of God. We, we forget some of those things sometimes that it took for Him to be able to be who He needed to be. But not only do we have that, of course in the end we've got Him given everything on the cross. And so this is an important passage. I haven't got to the point I'm going to make yet with it. Who gave Himself for us from every lawless deed to purify for Himself a people. Purify. Purify. Now see, Patrice didn't like seeing that little bee down there. Even after Denny stomped off with a giant shoe. And, you know, you look at that. Now, I've talked about this before, so you have this glass of milk and also the fly lands in it and drowns. You still gonna drink the milk? Just pick the thing out. It didn't do that much harm. Pick it out and drink the milk. It's not that bad. You, the food you bought at the store has a lot more impurities than that. They say chocolate has so much cockroach in it, it's unbelievable. But anyway, you look at that, purify. So you're gonna quit eating chocolate? I bet you not. But uh, you can look at it. It's got cockroaches in it. But you look at this and we see to purify for himself. Does Jesus just want any people or does he want pure people? Now let me ask you this. Does he want people who are pure in thought? Does he want people who are pure in speech? Does he want people who are pure in action? Does he want people who show their purity also in their attire? I mean, I want you to think about it. purity, purity. 
You know, I think about a lot of things. And, and I think about, and I don't know anything, a whole lot about her. I know quite a bit, but not, not everything. I think about this Mary who becomes pregnant from the Holy Spirit and gives birth to Jesus. Now, I would think that that girl was as pure as they came. What do you think about that? Now, so you look at that, and I think about Jesus died. We're already dirty. We already sinned, right? The wage of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But Romans 3.23, we've all sinned, fallen short. So we're already so now he needs to purify it. You know, I've been in places where we were remote and we had to drink water. Put little tablets in it or eat bowl of water. Sometimes it's still got dirt in it. But the contaminants that will harm you are no longer in there. So you think about that. He needs, he wants a people, as it says here, he purifies for himself a people for his own possession. Now I want you to think about that possession. For his own possession. Now let me ask you how you feel about this. If I just said, well, I own Tammy, she's she's my possession. You think a lot of people think, what'd you say? She's my property. What? What'd you say that for? Well, just so you know, you're Jesus' property. And you know, it talks about us being servants or even use the word slave. Now, I've never been a slave, but I've read and studied enough on through history, studying history. Slave decide, if you're a slave, does your master decide where you live? Does your master decide where you, when you get up? Does, it, does he decide what you wear? I mean, he, he gets excited. You know why? Because he owns you. Now, we're so far removed from that, we don't grasp that hardly. But it says he possesses us, a pure people, which he purified. He purified us, and he owns us. Now, listen to this, and I think the better we understand this, the more this next statement will be true. And we are zealous for good. You can't hardly wait to do the good things. I'm thankful we've got people like that. You know? I know we've had, had a couple of ladies that just jumped right in and we need a bulletin done, bulletin out. Got people who clean the building, building these toys. Need people to do this, people, let's just get on with it, let's do the good deed. Well, not like, well how come someone else ain't doing this? I don't know, man, 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 yes. But anyway, you know, you look at that, we just need to be zealous. That means we're eager, ready, and willing, right? So we're going to be zealous. We can't hardly wait to do the good things. You know, I think about a passage, Dennis will mention it quite often too, James 4 and verse 17. The one that knows the good or right thing to do, it's not enough just not doing bad things. You guys have heard, some of you heard me say this before, because I tell you what, if it's just not doing bad things, we can have a hundred not doing bad things here next week. All we got to do is go buy a bunch of store mannequins. I've never heard one of them cuss. I've never heard one of them be drinking and stumbling around or driving a car and running over people or getting in fist fights. I've never seen them do it. Never heard of them robbing a store. Never heard of them shooting a police officer. Mannequins, they don't, they don't do anything bad. They don't do anything bad. Problem is they don't do anything at all. There's a lot of Christians who don't do anything bad, but they don't do anything at all. And well, 
Here's what I tell people, and I do believe this. If you fill your life up, and I believe this with all my heart, a lot of people, I remember we were talking about that earlier, a lot of people are just lazy. If you fill your life up with doing good things, you won't have time to do bad things. And you won't have time to sit and do nothing for sure. If you fill your life up with good things, you'll be busy till the time you go to bed, and you'll be busy as soon as you get up if you fill your life with good things. And you won't have to worry about bad things because you don't have time for them. You know, you think about that. I think that's one reason my dad took us boys when we were young. Summer after sixth grade, my mom didn't watch me in the summers anymore. Nope, I worked 44 hours a week at that, summer after sixth grade. Because he put me at the shop. Now, see, I thought, well, he's going to train me, and he did. And he paid me, and yeah, he did. But I think more than all, he's just keeping an eye on me. At least he's down here. I can give him stuff to do where he won't be getting in trouble with all of his friends that got all the time in the world. Isn't that true? A lot of times when you got idle time, you think and do things you shouldn't do. Have you? Let me ask you this. So you're sitting around your house and you say there's nothing to do. Is that true, ever true? Is there nothing? I mean, there's always way more. Well, I don't want. I didn't ask you if you wanted to do them. But sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do, right? You tell a little kid, you haven't taken a bath in three days. I don't want to take a bath. Don't make him take a bath. Let him take a bath when he's ready. That little thing will stink so bad you won't want to be around him. So you've got to do it even when you don't want to do it because it's the right and good thing. Now, we can get that with kids, but adults, boy, we think we're something. So I think about this, and I think it's so important. We're zealots, eager and ready for good deeds. Let's look at another one or two. Turn with me, uh, well, let's turn to this one first. Go to, this is an interesting one to me, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. You guys probably know verse 15. This is the letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor. This is the one to the church of Laodicea. And verse 15 is a verse that says, I know your deeds that you're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. Verse 16, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God either wants you in it all the way or He doesn't. He'd rather have you standing against Him than be in the church doing a little bit of nothing. He said, that's what God... Doesn't that cause the most trouble? Because when they're in there not doing much of nothing, you know what they're usually doing? They're stirring them up. So that's what He says. They're lukewarm. But look at verse 19. We won't take time for the whole thing. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Huh? That, this, this must have been wrote. They wouldn't write this in the Bible today in America. You mean we correct and punish people? Well, if you want them to turn out right, I, I'm telling you what, it's still true. Proverbs still says you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. That's a fact. Not because I say so, but because the Bible says so. But he says, reprove it, therefore be zealous, there's that word again, and repent. Be excited, enthusiastic, but change your ways and do what. So if you haven't been doing what's right, you've got to start doing what's right. You've got to change your way. You, we've said this so many times. Can you change anything you did yesterday? It's done. You got right now today. Yesterday's done. If you blew yesterday, that's if you did great things yesterday, that's wonderful too. But you can't, there's no rewind. 
We got right now, we've got to live for the moment. We've got to be zealous for that which is good. So I think that's important. So he says you've got to be excited, zealous, enthusiastic, and repent if you've been lukewarm, lackadaisical, and not doing what you need to do. You've got to get on fire. You've got to do what's right. It's got to be according to knowledge, though. Let's look at just a couple others. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Go down to verse 11 of Romans 12. Listen to this. <clears throat> Not lagging behind. Would you hurt? Would you keep up? You ever told anybody that? I'm kind of a mover and a shaker, so I tell people that. What is your... I said, I don't understand. I had to pull the keys, get out of the car, put it in gear, and I'm still out waiting for you to get out of the car. What is your holdup? Let's move it! Okay, I'm like that. I know I'm like that. But it's like, why you got to run in slow motion? Let's get it going. So this passage just talks about, you know, there's some people that are always dragging their feet. So it says here, they're not, not lagging behind in diligence. What's that mean? Ready to do it. Ready to get it on. Let's do this. Not lagging behind, but fervent in spirit. That's an interesting word, fervent. That's kind of like the same word of enthusiasm. But fervent is from a root word that we use inferno or on fire. So it means we're burning up to get it done right. We're on fire. We want to do these things. People are going to see it in us. You know, it's kind of interesting to get people talking. We were mentioned in Dennis's class a little bit about the blood and the butcher process and growing up in farm country and then when Dennis says some hunting, yeah, I'll be glad to talk to you about any of that anytime. I get pretty excited about that stuff. But I like to proceed. I mean, there's people who are excited about those things. People say, you're crazy. Well, I know that. But I'm excited about being crazy anyway. <laughs> but also, we got to be excited about the gospel. You know, some little kid gives me a chance to tell the story of uh, Noah and the ark. I'm going to get excited. I'm, that kid's going to think it's a, I think it's the greatest story I've heard because it is a great one. And I'm going to talk to a man. You know what kind of wood he used? Gopher wood. And they're going to I said, you ever seen gopher wood? I said, well, when you got to go for it, that's gopher wood. But no. I said, I don't know what gopher wood is, but no one knew what gopher wood was. And I'm going to talk to him about the window, and I'm going to talk to him about the door, and I'm going to talk to him about the three decks, and you know, we're going to talk about all these things and the animals all in there. And we're going to talk about everything. And we're going to for sure talk about when Noah and he finally got on dry land. After the birds found the leaves and they set rest and gets out of the ark. First thing he does is build himself a mansion. First thing he did was build a place of worship. Hmm. He worried, was more concerned about that than building a house. And then God, to show how much he thought of Noah, hangs a rainbow in the sky. And every time I see that rainbow, I think of Noah and everything that says. I think about the worldwide flood that the world doesn't understand at all, that disproves the million and million years theory of so much evolution. And I mean, I just think about all that's there. But I think about who God is. God's going to destroy the earth again, but it won't be with water. Second Peter 3 said it's going to be fire this time. But we've got to be excited about those things, ready to share that. And I'm, I'm fortunate when I was a little kid going to Bible class, all them teachers taught me them stories. So when I hear about Samson, him taking a jawbone of a donkey and fighting a thousand warriors, I mean, that makes Rambo seem like a panty waste. 
I mean, this guy takes a... And he kills a thousand men with a job. I'm telling you, I hope God videotaped that because I want to see it. You know, don't you just think, man, this is amazing. And he kills a lion with his bare hands. But he gets whooped, taken over by a woman. And then he gets his eyes poked out. And you think, oh, this is terrible. And then finally, in the end, he at least comes out a hero in the game, doesn't he? But how costly all of what he could have been. And you think about all those things. Or I think about, I was going to call him King David, but he wasn't King David. He's just a shepherd boy. God doesn't need a warrior to be the giant. He can do it with a shepherd boy. He just needs someone of faith. He doesn't need hundreds and thousands of people. He doesn't need people with PhDs. He doesn't need people with million dollars to make. He needs you and me. And we got to be excited. I'm telling you, if you notice, David was excited. He ran. Not from Goliath. He ran to me. Oh man, I better watch out. I'll get all excited about all that. So I think, here, here's my favorite passage on being excited about the gospel. And if you've heard me preach any time, you've heard me mention this, I'm going to slow down and read it instead of quote to you. It's over in Romans 14. It's my, I guess my motto passage for Christianity. He says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are Lord's. Told you that's my chant there. But you look at that, how powerful that is. Is that a statement from a zealous writer? From a zealous Holy Spirit about the truth and who we should be? So I think about that. I'll mention one other thing real quick. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Uh, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel. You light it and put it on the lampstand so it gets light to all the house. He then would go on and say a few more things about it, but he finally says, you're the light of the world. And he said, we've got to let our light so shine before men this year. Huh. Um, if I just had one little match here and we were dark and I light a match, could you see it? If it, there was no light here, could you see the... Oh yeah, if I let you, you can see it. And then I go grab the flashlight. My truck's not here, but I go grab the 2,000 lumen of flashlight I got. And I hold that match up there and I shine that lumen of flashlight, 2,000 lumen of flashlight, with the match between you and it, and I shine that light right in your face. You see the match anymore? No, that light will knock your eyes out. Wow, man, like he brought the sun in here. You know, we just don't need to be some piddly little glowworm. We need to be a bright light for the Lord. We need to be excited about it. So we're going to sing this invitation song. And if we haven't been excited, I pray we get excited. And if we haven't been showing our enthusiasm according to the truth, we need to do that. And if we don't know the truth, you've got to gain the truth first. You've got to study the Word. But it isn't enough just to study it. Then you've got to live it and share it. But if you're not a Christian, you can become one today by putting on Christ in baptism. And if you need the prayers to be stronger and faithful, if we can help, please come as we stand and sing.